Please turn with me in your Bibles to uh, James chapter 4, or you can turn in your bulletins, and the text is provided in there as well. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you recognizing that within our hearts there is a war, a war between our old selves and our new selves, a war between the flesh and the spirit. We recognize that we have mixed desires and mixed passions and, and uh, sometimes our desires are are good and sometimes uh, our desires are, are bad and they um, allow for these opportunities and cause opportunities for when we're uh, fighting against one another. Lord, I ask that you'd help us to discern our hearts and, and, uh, and also help us as we turn to you, Lord. Help us to see you clearly. Help us to understand this text clearly. And we ask, Lord, that you would uh, cleanse our hearts and wash our hands in the blood of Christ. Thank you so much. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would uh, be with this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. During the Cold War, the United States' main enemy was uh, the former Soviet Union, the USSR, which is now Russia. There weren't any large-scale battles in the Cold War, uh, but there was plenty of spying. 
1979, a Soviet Union general was discovered to be a U.S. CIA agent. And he was quickly executed by the Soviets. Uh, Then a few years later, in 1985, three Soviet officers were discovered to have been spying for the FBI and the CIA. And they too were executed by the the, uh, Soviets. The U.S. intelligence agencies were becoming very concerned and perplexed as to how their spies were being discovered. Were the Soviets, were they, were they just good at catching and, and uh, finding uh, these spies? Or, even worse, was there a mole? Was there someone from within the FBI spying for and leaking information to the Soviets? Years passed uh, by, and, and in the year 2000, the FBI paid $7 million to an ex-KJB officer for information regarding someone within the FBI who had been spying for years for the Soviets and the Russians. The FBI found out that there was a mole within their own ranks. It was an FBI officer uh, agent named Robert Hansen. Robert Hansen had been working for the FBI uh, since 1976, and it wasn't until February 18, 2001, that he was arrested by the FBI in a park outside of Washington, D.C., after he had dropped off classified documents under a bridge for Russian spies. After his arrest, the FBI issued this statement, a betrayal of trust by an FBI agent who is not only sworn to enforce the law, but specifically to help protect our nation's security, is particularly abhorrent. This kind of criminal conduct represents the most traitorous action imaginable against a country governed by the rule of law. It also strikes at the heart of everything the FBI represents. The commitment of over 28,000 honest and dedicated men and women in the FBI who work diligently to earn the trust and confidence of the American people every day. So Robert Hansen, he was the enemy from within. He had different allegiances than to America and different goals than the FBI had. His desires and his ambitions were opposed to the desires and ambitions of his presidents and his people. Brothers and sisters, we too have an enemy within. It's an enemy within our very own hearts. When there is conflict between one Christian and another, the greatest enemy causing those those conflicts is not outside of ourselves. It's from within ourselves. That's what James 4 is all about. It's about the passions that are at war within us, causing us to fight and quarrel with our brothers and sisters. So today we'll consider these quarrel-causing passions, and then we'll look at two solutions for curing quarrels and encouraging unity. The first solution is humility toward God. And the second solution, which necessarily follows the first solution, is humility toward others. Now, you may have noticed by the title of this sermon, um, by the text and by the outline, uh, that this sermon is actually really very similar uh, 
to the one I last preached on on 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and James 4 have very similar verses, but they apply them to different situations. Both passages have the same humility proverb from Proverbs 3.34 that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Both passages uh, promise that God exalts those who humble themselves. Both speak of resisting the devil. And both speak of living rightly with those in your church family. The similarities are so clear that I I wonder if the Apostle Peter, when he was writing his epistle, I I wonder if he was thinking of James, uh, of the book of James, uh, since uh, 1 Peter was written after the book of James. So there are clear similarities between the passages, but, but they apply the humility proverb to two different situations. First Peter applies uh, humility to, to anxiety in the Christian's life. And James applies humility to conflict between, uh, uh, between other believers. This humility proverb, I believe it has just endless uh, applications in the Christian life. And so that's why I believe uh, this should be a core teaching for us. So let's consider how the proverb that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, uh, it brings about peace and unity between quarreling Christians. Let's look now at at God's holy word here in in James chapter 4. Verses 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions. In verses 1 through 3 here, we see the root of cause of all quarrels. If you ask someone why they're angry with someone else, what reasons do you think that they might give to you? Well, we often think that uh, we're uh, we often think that we're angry with other people because of, of what they did, because of what they said. We often blame other people for causing the fight. Now, I, I used to work in the field of psychology, and, uh, and the answer often given for what causes conflict is that certain needs are not being met. People have needs, and when they don't get those, those needs met, uh, there's problems and conflicts to get those needs met. Now, we as humans, we, we're doubtless you know, very needy people, and, and, uh, and neediness sometimes does fuel some conflict. But there are still uh, many people with great needs who don't fight with other people to get those needs. Hungry people, or hangry people, (laughs) they they fight, but so do full people. Poor people fight, but so do rich people. Sick people fight, but so do healthy people. So neediness, neediness can't be the core cause of our quarrels. So who, who knows what causes quarrels? Well, I, I would think that our maker would, wouldn't he? <laughs> he, 
He understands this completely. And he says here in verse 1 that, that what causes quarrels and fights among us is our passions and our desires within us. Our number one enemy is within us. Even us as, as, as Christians who have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, we also still have our sinful nature. And there's sinful desires and sinful passions that do not line up with God's desires and, and His will. They are at war. We have ambitions. We've got goals. We have an agenda of our priorities. We have our values, our treasures that we want to obtain and accomplish. And even if some of those things are good things, when other Christians get in the way of us getting what we want, we often fight. We murder other Christians in our hearts, wishing that they were just out of our lives and out of our way, and we get angry at them. So when you're in conflict with someone else, think first about your own passions and desires and wants. When you're in that fight, what is it that you feel like you want? Analyze that first and foremost before analyzing the other person, which we so are so keen to do first. So we've seen that the root cause of all quarrels is the passions within us. Now let's consider the obscenity of these sinful passages, passions. Look with me at verses 4 and 5. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Here we see the true colors of conflict. James doesn't hold back from showing us the severity of conflict between other believers. He calls us adulterous people. And in the original Greek, it's just adulteresses, which reminds us and brings to mind Old Testament imagery of, 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 of Israel and how when Israel went after other gods and, 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 and idols and went after and wanted to be like other nations, the, the prophets again and again called Israel an adulteress or a, or, uh, or a prostitute. So we too, when we're fighting against each other, we too are adulteresses. Because in our hearts, we're not in love with God and prioritizing Him. We are in love, rather, with worldliness, with self-serving goals and worldly pleasures. And because of that, we have committed spiritual adultery against our true husband, God. And not only when we are not, not only are we called adulteresses in this passage, we're we're also called friends of the world and enemies of God. Now this is really strong language, isn't it? But as as the proverb says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. I think that's what James is doing here. I think he's 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 wounding us, he's shocking us, he's he's uh, giving us eyes to truly see what's really happening when we're engaged in in conflict. 
But these are faithful wounds. We are to see how obscene, how odious, and how how filthy our sin is against each other. We used to be enemies of God, so why would we want to go back to those old ways and, and, and to live like His enemy once again? So brothers and sisters, let's be appalled at ourselves when we fight against our other family members. And let's call it for what it is. It's spiritual adultery. It's enmity with God. It's worldliness. Look with me now at verses 6 through 10. Now, is James, is he just going to wound us some more? Is he just going to leave us to be ashamed of ourselves and, and just leave us to just figure out how we can just be better Christians and, and to just, just stop fighting with each other? No. A remarkable shift happens here. Look at verse 6. But he gives more grace. He gives more grace. What an amazing turn in tone here. In this chapter here, God has been exposing our sinful passions, our quarrels, our worldliness, our, our prayerlessness, or our self-serving prayers, our spiritual adultery against God, our enmity with Him. And now He comes to us with more grace. He gives grace to the quarrelsome Christian. The ESV Expository Commentary puts it really well when it says, The fiery, consuming jealousy of God is only outdone by His gracious kindness and favor. God is holy and just and jealous, but He's gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so he gives grace to us sinners. Praise God for his mercy and his grace toward us in Christ. Now James turns to the humility proverb. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now this, this passage sounds so familiar uh, to our First Peter 5 passage. God opposes the proud. And when we're fighting against fellow family members, we're being proud. We're being proud, and, but there's grace for us when we're humbled before God. The first solution to ending quarrels and creating unity is that we humble ourselves toward God. Vertical humility is the first step towards solving our horizontal conflict. Because our conflict with one another is first and foremost conflict between us and God. So in this passage, what does humility toward God look like? 
Well, we see humility is expressed in four different ways. First, starting in verse 7, humility looks like submission to God. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So submit under God. Subordinate yourself under Him. Subordinate all of your desires, your goals, your passions, your pleasures, your purposes, your plans, your ambitions. Submit those under God's desires, under His goals, His passions, His pleasures, His purposes, His plans and ambitions. Do all to the glory of God. Deny yourself. Deny the supremacy of your desires, the supremacy of your goals, your passions, your pleasures and purposes. Deny yourself of those as good as they may seem to you. I mean, sometimes we have, we have, we have really great desires, really great plans for how to build God's kingdom, how to love other people. But sometimes those desires, even those desires can uh, turn into selfish ambition or things that can uh, create conflict with one another. And so deny yourself of those and take up your cross and follow Jesus, follow His way, follow His will, His purposes, His ambitions. Second, it says in our text here to resist the devil. Resist the devil. Humility is spiritual warfare. Humility resists the devil's temptations. As he tempts you towards selfish ambition or to fight someone else, resist him. As we learned in 1 Peter 5, we resist the devil by being firm in our faith. So humble yourself and prioritize feeding and strengthening your faith. Make time to study God's Word. I think some of the best ways of strengthening your faith is by studying like systematic theology or, or, or covenant theology where you see the promises of God as the bedrock to your faith. Study the historical creeds and confessions that, uh, that put our faith in such clear, concise, and helpful ways. Shape your faith and your passions and your desires, shape them around God's word, around God's will. You will then have a strength to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Third, uh, verse 8, it says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Humility looks like drawing near, drawing close to God by growing to know Him better through His Word and through prayer. Corporate worship, I think, is the, the best place to draw near to God because God has promised to be with His people and to give us grace through, through gathering together and receiving the preached Word and worshiping Him and receiving the Lord's Supper as we will do today. As you draw near to God in humility, take comfort and rest in His promise that He will draw near to you. Fourth, humility looks like solemn repentance. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humility toward God looks like repentance. Like turning away from our sin, from our evil desires and passions. We are to cleanse our hands and wash our hearts. And so where do we wash? What can wash away our sin? What can change the evil desires of our hearts to good desires? Who can clean out the root problem of all of our quarrels? Brothers and sisters, as I'm sure you know, (laughs) let's wash again fresh in the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And just a couple verses before that in 1 John 1.7, it says that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So wash your guilty hands in the blood of Christ. Wash your sinful hearts in His blood. Confess your sins to God in prayer. And then look upon Jesus' death on the cross in faith. That His death is sufficient to take away all of your sin and to purify your hearts to serve Him. I'd recommend going to Psalm 51 and, and praying through that. Psalm 51 is the prayer of repentance and confession that, that David prayed after he committed adultery and, and, and uh, with Bathsheba and murdered his husband, her husband. Now after we humble ourselves toward God and we deny ourselves of our passions and follow after Jesus, the first place that Jesus leads us to is it's often to others in the church. And he calls us to humble ourselves toward each other to be reconciled with one another. He calls us to humble ourselves with those that we have been in conflict with. Vertical humility empowers horizontal humility. So let's consider how we are to live with one another. Let's look at James 4, verses verses 11 through 12. James 4, 11-12, it says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Humility toward each other looks like right speech to one another and about one another. Now James has a lot to say about the tongue, doesn't he? When you think about the book of James, I mean, he says that the that that the tongue it's a it's a it's a fire, it's a it's a it's an evil, it's an unresting evil, and 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 so as as Christians we need to consider our speech. It's not fitting to speak evil against a brother or a sister. So correcting our speech, being watchful over our tongues, it can go a long, long way to ending quarrels and to making sure that they don't start in the first place. 
Now, this passage is not saying that we shouldn't uh, ever expose the evil deeds that someone is doing to us. Abuse should be exposed. Bullying should be exposed. Church discipline can only happen if evil deeds come to light. To speak evil against a brother, rather, means uh, to have to have no aim of love or mercy in your words, but only to aim for the downfall of a brother or a sister, uh, or or for you to look better when you put somebody else down. And hey, well, you know, you look a little better than they do. Speaking evil of someone is a violation of the law, of the ninth commandment, because you're not speaking truthfully about your neighbor, or you are unnecessarily exposing his or her weaknesses or failures to people that don't need to know that information. So humility toward our brothers and sisters looks like truthful and filtered, restrained speech. And that can go a long ways in keeping quarrels from starting or ending quarrels that have started. If you're in a fight with a brother or sister right now, remember the gospel. Remember God's grace toward you. You may have been wronged, but just as God gives more grace when you've been an adulteress, so also you go and give them more grace. God can give grace to your conflicts. Recognize the passions within your hearts and subject them under God's will. You may feel that as you search your hearts that it's really hard to understand your passions and your plans and your purposes and and it just gets messy as you start to uh, go introspective. (laughs) But don't get lost in, in introspection. Turn to God in prayer. Confess your sins to the Lord. Ask the Lord to cleanse your heart, to, to change your desires. To, um, you know, Even as we pray the Lord's Prayer, praying, Your will be done. That goes a long ways. And the Lord uses that to begin to shape our hearts how they should be. So don't get lost in the introspection as you try to uh, delve into the deep caverns of, of your heart. So may God exalt us from adulterous conflict to peaceful, sweet unity with one another as we look forward to the day when all sinful passions of our hearts will be taken away when we're glorified in heaven and there will be no more tears of conflict anymore. There will be no more family fights. Let's now pray and then come to the family table and eat together as one body united in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We come to you acknowledging that there's sinful passions in our hearts, that even the good things we desire, sometimes we, sometimes selfish ambition gets in the way, and we want those things more than we want to love our brothers and sisters around us. Help us to turn away from that. Lord, we come to you for more grace. You say in your word that you have not because you ask not. And so, Lord, right now we ask for more grace, not to spend your grace on our own personal passions and and, uh, worldly advancement, 
But we do that and we ask for grace for your out of a desire for your glory above all things. We ask, Heavenly Father, for wisdom. For wisdom from above. Wisdom that is peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Lord, we want to bear these fruits as we talk to one another, as we speak about one another. Lord, we ask also for the meekness of wisdom, that we would be meek when others attack us, that we would be meek when there's conflict. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd shape us to be peacemakers. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.